Welcome to ThinkCast, the Gartner Podcast Channel. Here, we talk with the world's leading analysts and thought leaders about the hottest and most important IT and business topics. We discuss the latest insights, best practices, and informed predictions that will get you thinking about how best to solve your immediate challenges and build a better long-term strategy. So enjoy this ThinkCast conversation. So here's my question for you. What CIO animal are you? No, don't worry. We are not getting silly suddenly here at ThinkCast. But the answer can have a profound impact on your leadership abilities. So welcome to this latest installment of ThinkCast. Hi, I'm Scott Smith. Gardner analyst Tina Nuno released her book, The Wolf and CIO's Clothing, A Machiavellian Guide to Successful IT Leadership, last year. But this is not just another stop on an extended book tour. No, Tina also put out a quiz in conjunction with the book. And so far, over 9,000 IT leaders have taken it, searching for more insights into their leadership styles. Again, that's over 9,000 of your IT peers. You can take the quiz at gartner.com backslash wolfcio. But before you do, we'd like to give you a look at what you might find and why you might want to find it. Tina Nuno is indeed my guest right now. She is a vice president and Gartner fellow in the CIO research practice. She's a much sought after speaker around the world on leadership issues, as well as the author of The Wolf and CIO's Clothing. Tina, welcome to ThinkCast. Thank you so much for having me. Now, the book's been out over a year, but the quiz's popularity, it really doesn't show any signs of slowing down. Has this reception to the book and the quiz surprised you at all? Very pleasantly surprised at the response to the survey. The survey began as part of the research to help clients self-identify what their leadership style was, and in particular, how they approached conflict. And to date, since we've launched the survey, we've had well over 9,000 people take the quiz. And I've been really appreciative of how people have responded to it. I think what people have enjoyed the most is that when they take the quiz, they get a personal profile back, which describes to them, based on their answers to the questions, how they view conflict and how they approach conflict. And it's given a lot of our clients the opportunity to reflect on how they handle conflict, and then consider embracing some additional tools and tactics that might help them be a little bit more successful in dealing with very difficult situations, which are very common for a lot of our clients. So it definitely sounds interesting, but let's take the step back then and give people a sense of what they're gaining from the survey in the sense of the book itself, because I think people are hearing the Wolf and CIO's clothing and saying, okay, where exactly is that going? So could you tell us about the book and all also, how it came about, really. The book came from some of my earliest research on organizational politics, and in particular, trying to help our clients deal with what I refer to as the dark side of organizational politics. For many of our clients and leaders in general, they've been traditionally taught that to deal with a conflict situation, all you really have to do and all you really should do is be open, honest, and transparent. And I'm a fan of that, and I encourage our clients to do that with one caveat, as long as it works. But what I've observed in real life is that you can be open, honest, and transparent, and it doesn't necessarily work. 
because sometimes we're dealing with players who are a bit on the dark side or organizational cultures who are on the dark side. And in order to cope with these very difficult scenarios, which a lot of our clients have dealt with, and oftentimes when they come to me, they've been in a lot of pain. They're worried about losing their jobs. They've felt that they're under attack. They've tried to do all the right things and somehow accidentally ended up in all the wrong places. So my research is really designed to help them think a little bit differently and expand their toolkit relative to how they deal with conflict. And the central image of that evolved into the wolf as the central image of the research. Why the wolf? I chose the wolf for two reasons. The wolf has a couple of interesting sides as a creature. So first and foremost, the wolf is a pack animal. It leads and participates in a large family group for its entire life. It's inherently a social creature that can create loyalty. And I believe this is important for CIOs. CIOs deal with stakeholders in every possible part of the organization because technology touches everyone, including the customers who buy our products. And as a result, CIOs, counter to that traditional image of CIOs as being introverted and awkward, CIOs have to deal with many people every single day. So, so a successful CIO must be a social creature. On the other hand, the wolf has another important quality, which I believe is also very important to CIOs. The wolf is a predator. And if you don't cooperate with the wolf out of loyalty, you will cooperate with the wolf because otherwise it may bite your face off. So, and I believe that there are times when the, the real life of CIOs is they can't necessarily please everyone. There's, we know based on all of our data, there's much more demand for IT than there is supply. And in particular, part of the history of IT being positioned as a service provider can sometimes put IT in a weak position. So a lot of the work that I've done with our clients has been to help them rethink their positioning in the organization to help them think not as a service provider, but much more as a partner and a leader. And in particular, one of the other reasons as a whole I chose the wolf is because if we really want to be partners with other senior executives in the organization, we have to remember a very important rule of partnership, which is predators only partner with other predators. And so if CIOs are not well-positioned and viewed as strong in the organization, then other strong players will not be enthused about partnering with them. So that really was much of the genesis for choosing the wolf as the dominant symbol of the book. And that makes perfect sense. And at the same time, I don't think IT is naturally trained its leaders to be wolf-like. I, I remember reading recently, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal, that more and more CIOs are coming from outside of IT. And I think it's because traditionally uh, IT has, you talked about kind of having to work together in that pack mentality. And IT has traditionally been more about integration than being interactive or interrelational. It's not been in the DNA up until recently. Absolutely. If, if anything, IT has traditionally been told that it is their job to be a service provider. When you're a service provider, by definition, your status and position in the organization is less than that of those who are considered the quote-unquote business, which is really unfortunate. And I think not the proper positioning for IT today. Perhaps it never was the right positioning, largely because right now, boards of directors and other senior executives are finally recognizing that IT is a central source of competitive advantage. 
And we don't get competitive advantage from IT by treating them as a service provider. We simply don't. It's not as though we can look at our IT staff and say, yes, give me competitive advantage. It doesn't work that way. We cannot get competitive advantage out of technology as an enterprise unless we learn to partner together as a business and co-create. Because today, IT is a team sport. And we're only as good as our ability to partner. But this means changing the entire dynamic of how IT relates to the rest of the organization. And it's not an easy transition. It doesn't come without conflict. I want to dive into a moment a little more about the book and certainly about the survey results that you've gotten. But I I do have to ask, uh, relative to the book, I know you had an interesting um, inspiration behind it. And that's something when you mentioned the dark side. I know Machiavelli played a role in the development of this book. And I think he's one of the more misunderstood and often associated in some ways only with, if not strongly, with the dark side. But could you speak to that and how Machiavelli, of all in the, people always think of the end justifies the means, how that plays into this? Yes, and Machiavelli was a strong inspiration for me in the book. For me, one of the things that a lot of people who know me are well aware of is I'm first-generation Italian, which means that my people tend to view conflict as a recreational sport. You know, we just view conflict a little bit differently than the rest of the population. And so for me, as a result, Machiavelli was very much an inspiration. But I also believe that Machiavelli has been greatly misinterpreted historically because Machiavelli believed in embracing conflict to get to a better place. He believed in embracing conflict because he believed that leaders had to be willing to fight to create something of value And then, having created something of value, they needed to have the skill to fight to defend it. Because, interestingly, he recognized this is when we are at our most vulnerable, is when we have something that other people might want. If we don't know how to fight to defend it, then we will lose it. And to me, this has many analogies to where IT is today. There are many parts of the organization who are finally understanding how valuable IT is. And as a result, many other parts of the organization are jumping in, and rather than teaming, they're trying to take big chunks of IT away from IT or create their own technology. Gartner Research has indicated that, for example, up to 25% of the IT spend is very quickly moving out of the IT department, where marketing might be creating a digital leadership group, operations might be creating another group. All different kinds of different IT groups are springing up throughout the organization because they're recognizing the competitive advantage of it. Now, this is not necessarily a bad thing, and I don't advocate CIOs trying to put their arms around this and control it simply for control's sake. I do believe that we can have technology in many places in the organization, but we still have to behave as a team so that we can take advantage of everyone else's expertise, IT's expertise, marketing expertise, and everyone else in the organization in order for us to be successful. But unfortunately, what I believe has happened in a lot of organizations is IT has been wrestled away from the IT department and everyone loses as a result because it's become a binary push-pull. But, you know, as I, I listen to you talk about the need for conflict, but we are adverse at times to conflict, and yet here at Gartner, I know we talk constantly about 
it's another term, but it is conflict of a sense, digital disruption, that by its very nature to, re- to reach that strategic level that IT needs to be at to bring the competitive advantage, you have to be in conflict with the status quo. You have to say, we can do things better, we, but we have to do things differently. And that by its very nature is going to create conflict. Absolutely. You know, conflict can be a very healthy thing, but in reality, most of us have our own belief systems about conflict that come from places like our culture, how we were raised, what we were taught about conflict. And so it's very personal. And part of what I do with clients and part of what the Wolf Quiz does is helps reveal their conflict management approach to themselves. So the quiz will help our clients oftentimes truly begin to wrap their arms around the notion of what are their beliefs about conflict? How do they think about it? And how well is that working for them? Because conflict is something that naturally we have been taught to be averse to. But I believe it has a very healthy place in leadership. You know, in fact, to me, the central job of leadership is to bring people together who would not normally work together. Because if people spontaneously work together, we'd have no need of leadership whatsoever. And so I know that people don't normally think of leadership that way. But to me, it's a central component of being successful is, you know, do we need to centralize something because it's good for the company? We somehow have to get all of these different silos who have functioned separately for years, perhaps, or who are only here because there was a merger or an acquisition. We have to find a reasonable way to get them to work together and get them past the stress of that transition. It's not easy to do, but it's important to do. And I want to get in just into a moment into the survey results themselves, but let's talk about some of the traits that you're kind of looking at as the surveys are being taken, what you're looking for among CIOs. Um, I'm thinking that some of the words could be taken negatively, conflict, predator. You know, depending on how you look at that word, it can be sales, a predator can be good, but sometimes a predator, he's going to pounce on me, he's going to eat me. I don't want to deal with that. You know, I'm going to avoid what then, and, and a CIO certainly can't, we're not advocating walk through the office and saying, I'm now in charge, get out of my way or else. So what are the traits that you found make the, the Wolf and CIO's clothing, the, the successful ones in this new atmosphere, in this new paradigm? Um, what are either the traits, what are either the kind of personality types that we're looking at in the modern CIO? So in the book and in the quiz, I explore what I call the three extreme dimensions or the three extreme disciplines that a leader needs today to fully embody being that wolf CIO, which I agree with you. A lot of people think of the wolf as negative, but I don't. You know, to me, the, the wolf is it, it's a strong predator. And so one of the dimensions that I encourage our clients to explore is their relationship with power. So historically, people look at power and tend to say, well, power corrupts. You know, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Anywhere I go in the world, when I present on this topic and talk to clients, everyone knows that quote. It's amazing. It crosses cultures. Everybody knows that. But I personally believe that the person who said that didn't have any power and that they were probably a little bit bitter about it because, you know, power is a handy thing. It truly is. I tend to believe that power is ethically neutral. It's simply the ability to make something happen. And so, When you give power to good people who have good intentions, they do amazing things. And we do a disservice, as far as I'm concerned, not only to IT, but to leadership in general, when we discourage good people from assuming power because it just expands their ability to get things done. And then people who have negative intentions know that power is a good idea, so they just move into the vacuum. To me, none of that works. 
absolutely none of that works. So I think leaders need to have a healthy relationship with power and really think about using it in a constructive way. In fact, while a lot of people will think of dealing with the dark side as negative— What I will share with our clients is this, is I believe that sometimes as leaders, we have to go to the dark side to drag people back over into the light. That there are times when, as a leader, what we need to do is draw the line in the sand and say, hey, this is what we stand for. So I'll give you a a small example of this. When IT is perceived as a service provider, it's not unusual that others will treat them differently than they treat everyone else. Oftentimes, they will be impolite. At times, it will escalate to being unprofessional, and sometimes it will escalate beyond that. But at the very least, in some cases, I've seen organizations where the treatment of IT is impolite, which to me is never appropriate. And what I've seen some very wolf-like CIOs do is draw the line. I saw one CIO who told me she received a very negative email about one of her team, and many others were CC'd on it. And she marched over to that stakeholder and told that stakeholder, I saw your email. And he said, what are you going to do about it? And she said, I'm going to tell you that you will never send an email with that tone and that vocabulary to one of my team again. And he said, but she didn't do her job. And she said, but I don't care. You will never send a message that has that tone to one of my team again. And when he apologized, she then said, okay, now let's deal with your problem. Let's deal with the issue at hand. To me, that's a quintessential wolf. It's having values and having principles, but having the strength to draw the line and hold the line. There are lots of people who have great value systems, but they can't enforce them. They can't protect, for example, either the IT organization, which always frustrates them. They can't protect the IT organization. They can't do the things in IT that they would like to because they don't feel empowered to do so. And in some cases, interestingly enough, they can't even do the altruistic thing of saving the organization from themselves. So it's not unusual, for example, that in an enterprise where IT is positioned as a service provider, where people will ask for IT, which is dangerous. It's not compliant with the regulations that pertain to their industry. It's not necessarily secure. It may have a cost profile, which in the long term will not work for the organization. So by implementing what that business unit or stakeholder wants, they're actually putting the organization at risk. In a service provider culture, if the stakeholder asks for something dangerous, you might inform them as to the risks, but then if they insist, you proceed. There are times when I think for the enterprise's sake, CIOs and other IT executives have to be strong enough to say, no, I draw the line. This is not good for the enterprise. This is not appropriate. Now, that's an extreme, and we might consider that behavior negative, but when it's done for the greater good of the organization, as debatable as what the greater good looks like may be, then we're doing it for the right reasons. And these are difficult situations. There's no easy answer to them. So part of what I encourage our clients to grapple with is the basic reality that making these decisions and dealing with these difficult situations rarely results in this very empirical right answer. It doesn't result in the empirical win-win. It's really rare that life hands a leader a win-win situation. My research is really designed to help them deal with the reality that as a leader, most often the situations that we're given to deal with have two options. They have bad and they have worse. And if as a leader you chose the bad and not the worse, you did a good job. So 
to me, dealing with the dark side of organizational politics means also dealing with that reality, that in some cases, there is no clear right answer, and the leader has the burden of making the tough call. I got to say, I love that example you gave because in many ways it goes back to your definition before of power, that it's not an absolute, it's it's a balance because you the person wasn't, it wasn't looking for a win-lose that my team's better than yours or not. It was simply treat us as equals and we'll work together. Otherwise, don't bother knocking on the door. I, I, Absolutely. It's standing up for a principle, you know, and as a leader, knowing what you stand for. So what I explore as part of the quiz in the book is that, to me, the wolf actually has both a light and a dark side. So I explore what I call light side qualities. And on the quiz, there's actually a framework that I use, which has three light side animals, three dark side animals. And the wolf is in the center, but the wolf is gray because it embodies all of the most extreme qualities of all the light side and dark side animals, which renders it gray. And in many cases, I do believe that that's where wolves excel is in the gray space where there's no empirical right answer. This is also where I think a lot of times very well-meaning, extraordinarily intelligent IT executives will struggle. Um, IT executives often pride themselves on being reasonable and rational and being able to use data effectively, which they can. But one of the important themes I talk about in my work is that one of my rules of combat and surviving a fight is recognizing that you don't bring data to a knife fight. You know, and sometimes our wonderful clients are in a knife fight, even if they don't want to be. So that's why I work with them on dimensions such as power. And actually, and as the quiz analyzes also their ability to manipulate, which I know always sounds really dark and it's kind of intentional, but their ability to manipulate and their ability to wage war, which is power and manipulation multiplied so you can scale it across multiple stakeholders all at the same time. Because to me, those disciplines are what make up a very strong wolf leader. So let's dive into the survey now. And I'm, I'm curious, going back to the original question of, of reception of it, but what, again, is that end game for the client? Because I'm sure you've had many a CIO sit down and you're saying to them, we're going to kind of fi- figure out your CIO, the personalities of work, and there's animals, and they're probably thinking, if I'm taking a quiz that's going to tell me what kind of animal I am. You know, do you know what I do? So obviously the prize is worth it to go through it initially to some might be like, what, what do you got me into? Absolutely. Sometimes they're a little dubious, but fortunately, most of the folks who have taken it, I think take it in the spirit in which it's intended. They have fun with it. So I always encourage anyone who wants to take it. And by the way, if anyone would like to take it, it's at gartner.com backslash wolfcio. And anyone is able to take it who would like to. And it's a very short quiz. It only takes about 10 or 15 minutes for the average person to take the quiz. And what you get is your results on your preferences, essentially, or your tendencies when it comes to how you handle conflict and your ability to use power, manipulation, and warfare. So you get as an end result of this what I call your extreme animal profile. So it will share with you how you score on each of these three dimensions of power, manipulation, and warfare. You get an animal for each, and then you get an overall score which essentially tells you if you're a light side leader, a dark side, a wolf, or something in between. Okay, I want to find out some more about the results, but I I think the question I can already hear listeners asking is, what are the animals on either side of the spectrum here? 
Well, I don't want to bias people if they haven't taken the quiz yet. So if you haven't taken the quiz yet, I want you to forget this part when you go take the quiz and just take it with sort of a blank slate. But I will share with you that in the extremes, when you look at the power dimension, there's a light side animal in power, which is the lamb. So lamb leaders in power have as their main power source being nice. You know, lambs are lovely animals. They're lovable. They're nice. And a lot of people will follow the nice leader simply because they like them. And so being likable is an important power source. And we should never let that go. The challenge is that if you're a lamb leader, that when you're in a fight with a dark side person, it's very easy to become lunch. You know, because one of my other rules of combat is if you're in a fight, it's not good to be small and tasty. And the lamb kind of fits that category, so we have to be a little careful about that. On the opposite extreme is the dark side, which is the dark side power creature is the lion. Lions are known for gathering power. They embrace power. They'll gather it almost to a fault when they're on the extreme end of the spectrum, but they're highly focused on execution. Interestingly, oftentimes to the exclusion of being nice— So they don't really worry about being nice. I've actually worked with CIOs like this who have been very hardcore. You know, they want to do the right thing for the organization. They execute, they execute, they execute. And they assume that when they're done with the execution, that people will forgive them how they did it. And sometimes that's true, but sometimes it's not. So we have to be a little bit careful about that. The wolf actually spans both of those extremes. So it can be nice when... It wants to be nice, and it will be nice when it's appropriate, but it will also push and use power when it needs to. So in many ways, you can think of the wolf as situational leadership with a dark side. That's how some clients have described it to me, is that situational leadership with a dark side, because it will pull out the dark side toolkit when it needs to to get certain stakeholders on board. So that's the power dimension. The manipulation dimension is different. Now, I know manipulation is very upsetting to people, sometimes when they think about that word, because they tend to think about deceit and lying as part of manipulation. And in reality, sometimes that's true. But I think of manipulation as the ability to handle people with skill, you know, a core central component of leadership. And let's face it, power doesn't always work. Particularly when someone overpowers you, you can't actually use power with the CEO because the CEO will always overpower you. So your default with someone like the CEO has to be manipulation. The way that some clients have described it to me is they've said, hey, I'll go into the CEO's office, and if I need something like infrastructure, which the CEO usually doesn't understand, the conversation usually begins with, what a lovely tie you're wearing today. Have you been working out? Now, may I please have money for infrastructure? Now, perhaps that's not the right way to go, right? But as I mentioned, sometimes you're choosing between bad and worse. So is it wrong to manipulate the CEO? Probably, right? Is it a bad thing not to get infrastructure funding? Probably. Let's choose which one's worse. So as unpleasant as that may be, sometimes those are the choices that we're given. So I explore in the manipulation dimension the two opposite extremes. On the light side extreme, there's the dove. Doves have principles. They have very strong beliefs. They want to believe that everyone around them is always telling the truth, And their number one rule is honesty is the best policy. They will live by that. And they love data. So whenever possible, they will bring data to a discussion. That's how they will try to win a conflict. On the opposite extreme, on the dark side of manipulation, you have the snake. The snake kind of actually assumes everyone is lying. That's what they assume. They may give them the benefit of the doubt, but they'll assume that they're lying. And snakes will tend to maneuver. 
they will be very flexible about how they accomplish something. They will use subterfuge. They'll go dark sometimes, and you won't know what they're doing. I've had some CIOs who, for example, have told me, well, I won't tell people if I'm centralizing. One of my favorite examples that I use in the book was a CIO who went to his leadership in the organization and said, hey, we can save all this money if we centralize. And they looked at the data and they said, nope, we don't want to. We'd rather continue doing things the way that we're doing it. And they rejected the idea entirely. They rejected all the data. So I said to him, I said, what did you do? He said, I centralized anyways and nobody noticed. Deep snake, you know, very deep undercover snake. But he was doing it for what he felt were the right reasons. And again, you can debate and you have to ask yourself the personal question of would you be comfortable with that? Because we all have to confront the ethical component and decide how comfortable we are. The wolf will actually give people the benefit of the doubt, but test. So the wolf will say, okay, I'm going to assume you're telling the truth, but I'm going to test. So, for example, the wolf will assume when a stakeholder comes for something that is urgent, they'll say, okay, we'll assume the stakeholder believes it's urgent, but I'm going to test and make sure it really is. So they'll make them do something. They might make them jump through a few hoops or ask them a few questions or force them to bring some certain data to make sure it's actually urgent before they start working on anything. So it's a much more blended approach. The the old Cold War adage of trust but verify. Exactly. Exactly. I I would say if there's any perfect way to summarize the wolf's manipulation approach, it's exactly that. It's the trust but verify. And then on the third dimension is warfare, which is power and manipulation multiplied so you can scale it. The extremes on that end are on the light side, dolphins. So dolphins are the kind of leaders that people follow because they're fun. They care about people enjoying the ride. And a lot of people love being led by the dolphins because they're fun. They incent people in a really positive way. And so they're a really wonderful individual to work for. On the other extreme, you have the shark. The shark is the kind of person we follow because we know they're going to win. You know, they're always the biggest predator in the water. We know they're going to win. So we follow them. Interestingly enough, when you look at these opposite dimensions... Oftentimes, sharks in the quiz testing that I've done tend to fit the profile of a transformation agent. They are the CIOs and the leaders who will go into an organization, do the outsourcing, do the restructuring, change everything radically in the organization that needs to be changed, and then they leave. Because not only are they as a shark kind of bored with simply running the organization, that's not what they enjoy doing, but also because even if the organization thanks them for what they did, they'll never forgive them the collateral damage. But there's a place in the world for those kind of leaders. The wolf embodies both extremes. They will use any tactic in their arsenal to move a large transformation initiative forward. In particular, the key distinction with a wolf is they analyze each individual stakeholder and say, what will motivate you? So if I'm a dolphin with you, will you move? Will you come with me? And they'll look at another stakeholder and say, nope, with that one, I got to be a shark. And they adapt based on the stakeholder and the actual situation. So when an individual takes this quiz, they actually find out where they score in regard to all of those different animals, and they get an overall score at the end, which helps them reflect on their own leadership style. And very importantly, there's no such thing as a bad quiz score. None at all. You know, everyone has their strengths, and I encourage them to embrace their strengths in each one of the dimensions, and then consider expanding their toolkit as appropriate for them. Well, let's build off that right there because I'm fascinated by it. You help work with them to kind of figure out their CIO personality, which animal personality Mm -hmm. they fit or fits them. 
I guess the next question becomes then, what do they do with it? Because we're talking about personality, which isn't the easiest thing to change. There are some people who are just going to be driven without, let's call it the the empathetic side. I'm sorry you have a family issue. We've got a work thing to get done, whatever. And then on the other side, of course, go do what you need to do. I trust you. You know, What are we doing with that other than reaffirming what some might already know? What is the next steps for these CIOs with this information in hand? So I agree with you that changing someone's personality is not only not possible, it's usually not desirable. When I'm working with a CIO. I'm always very conscious of the reality that what they are got them into this senior position. So clearly a lot of what they've been doing is working for them. They usually end up contacting me when for some reason it's stopped working, either because they're dealing with some very dark side stakeholders for the first time or the environment has really changed around them. In which case, what I try to work with them to do is to really identify their strengths. So what are their dominant strengths? What are their go-to tools? And then I work with them to either amplify them or extend them. So for example, if I'm dealing with a predominantly light side leader, someone who scores on the light side, I'll work with them to raise their awareness of the dark side, since sometimes the light side leaders don't even see the dark side. But I will also try to help them extend tactics and sometimes be more extreme, be even lighter side, be very clear about what are the values they stand for. Because interestingly, sometimes light side people don't communicate what their values are. They tend to be a little bit quiet about it. And a big part of being a leader is knowing the messages that you send. In fact, part of the premise of my work is that leaders have to embrace being extreme because by being extreme, we understand what you stand for. We understand what you will and will not tolerate. In fact, the most dangerous thing to be as a leader is to constantly seek middle ground and compromise too much. Because when you as a leader continuously compromise, as unusual as this sounds, when we as a leader continuously compromise, we become invisible, particularly as a service provider. If as a service provider, we always do what we're told, we cease to exist in the eyes of our partners and the rest of the business. So sometimes taking that strong position, either as a light side leader or even as a dark side leader, suddenly makes us visible and makes us a force to be reckoned with. At least our colleagues now know where the line is. And then I'll continue to explore tactics with them from there that fit them comfortably, that will help them deal with the situations that they're in. So what I'm hearing is that it's not so much, again, it's not changing personality, but rather now that you know what your personality is, here are the tools you need to work with the other personalities to reach the consensus needed to move everything forward. Absolutely. And interestingly, one of the pleasant surprises I've had about how people have applied the quiz is now when clients come talk to me, sometimes what they'll say to me is they'll say, okay, well, you know, I'm a wolf, they'll sometimes say, but I'm dealing with a CEO who's a dove. And I've got this stakeholder over here who's a shark. So one of the pleasant surprises I've had is that the animal ecosystem has become a shortcut for how they think about the people around them and for how they communicate with us about what they're dealing with. And I think that in and of itself is also a good tool for them to have to help analyze a situation. Because, you know, politics is inherently dangerous. It's always dangerous. It's a tough thing to deal with. And one of the biggest strengths I believe CIOs have is their adept nature with data and information. 
because in organizational politics, data is your friend and information is your friend. So the more you understand about your colleagues and your potential adversaries, those who are giving you a hard time for whatever reason, right, and oftentimes they believe they're giving you a hard time for a very good reason, the more you understand about them and the situation, the more likely you are to be successful individually as well as successful together. Tina, thank you very much. Tina Nuno is a vice president and Gartner Fellow in the CIO Research Group. She is the author of the book, The Wolf in CIO's Clothing, A Machiavellian Guide to Successful IT Leadership. And don't forget to take the quiz based on the book at gartner.com backslash wolfcio. And check out Tina's leadership webinar via the webinars page of gartner.com. I'm Scott Smith. Thanks again to listening to ThinkCast. Gartner is an impartial, independent analyst of the information technology industry. All content provided by other enterprises is expressly the views of those enterprises and the speakers. The information should not be construed as a Gartner endorsement of said enterprise's products or services. Thank you for listening to this latest installment of ThinkCast from Gartner. We hope it gets you thinking about new ways to approach your IT and business concerns. And don't forget to check out the Gartner webinars at gartner.com slash webinars. Or look for more of our ThinkCast podcast at gartner.com slash podcasts. Make sure to subscribe to Gartner ThinkCast on iTunes so you don't miss an episode. Music